on air with JT. If you are a business owner, brand, company, or anyone selling a product and you want to advertise on this podcast, email the show directly at onairwithjt at gmail.com. We are offering extremely low rates for a limited time. Once again, email the show at onairwithjt at gmail.com. Listen to On Air with JT on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Go to onairwithjt.com. This is a JT exclusive interview. How's it going, everybody? You are listening to On Air with JT, and I have a very special interview with Cone McCaslin of Sum41. How are you doing, Cone? Uh, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great, man. That's good to hear. Again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on the show and do this interview. I really appreciate it. Uh, No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. I mean, you're a legend. (laughs) Um, So I guess to start off, you're you're from Ontario? Yeah, we're from uh, Ajax, Ontario, which is kind of like a, you know, the small suburb of Toronto. Okay. I I was just asking because, you know, I I personally, I've only been to Canada once when I was very, very young, and I plan on going to Canada very soon. And I actually want to check out Toronto. Do you have any, like, special recommendations that I, like, check out or any places that I go to? I mean, you could do the the obvious tourist touristy places like the CN Tower. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a cool amusement park called Canada's Wonderland if you if you have kids or whatever, um, or you know even adults love it too. Yeah. Um, and then there's you know like the bar like the the bars uh, to check out would be like you know the Horseshoe Tavern or the Bovine. Okay. Um, those are kind of places that I kind of have been going since I was legal to drink. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, there's a b- bunch of good restaurants too, but I, you know, forever changing hands, so I don't even know what's still open. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, you know, no, but yeah, you, and there's also like Toronto Island. You can take a ferry across to the island, which is cool. Oh wow, that is cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, thank you for the recommendations. I appreciate it. Um, so I got to ask you, what are some of your your early music influences? Like, what really got you into music? Like, was there like was there a couple artists or bands or was it a mix of different genres or yeah i i think what really got me in the music was um well like it, i guess it was the summer of 1994 and i was going we were going to high school and i lived in this court in ajax and and my, beside me was a uh, who's still my best friend ryan and across the street from me was still one of my best friends, Ian. Um, they both got electric guitars, and they were just kind of like starting to screw around on their guitars. Mm-hmm. And uh, then my friend up the street, Matt, he he was the drummer in elementary school in the school band. So he bought the set of drums. So they were kind of planning on starting this band. And I was like, well, wait a second. <laughs> I want to be in the band. Right. And they're like, well, we have two guitars. We have a drummer. I guess the only thing we were missing is a bass guitar player. And I was like, okay, I'll... I'll a bass guitar player not knowing anything about the bass guitar because you know, back in this was 1994 so the internet the, there's no internet yeah so i couldn't just go and google bass guitar yeah exactly. um, so yeah. i had to like i went and bought a bunch of magazines oh wow and uh researched on a bass guitar <laughs> and then I, I like begged my mom to go up to like the local music store and buy a bass um so i got this like really cheap 200 gas uh black bass um and at the time we were basically really into nirvana um, for for like a reason of like you know it smells like a Teen Spirit had come out and it was blowing up and we started figuring out that you know a lot of Nirvana songs especially on guitar 
um, or four chords or three chords. Mm. Um, so we're like, wow, that, that seems like a good starting point. It's like, you know, we could actually figure them out on our own and play them. Um, yeah. Before long, we, we could actually play Nirvana songs. So Nirvana was big for us. Um, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., all that whole like uh, kind of grunge thing that was happening at the time we were really into. And, uh, you know, and then it kind of escalated from there. Yeah, I can only imagine. That must have been a crazy era because it's funny that you mentioned 94. That was the year I was born. So, you know, um, oh. <laughs> and I, I just love, you know, obviously like, you know, 90s alternative and 2000, early 2000s, you know, that's kind of my thing. But, um, yeah, it's it's crazy. So you um, so when did you guys start? When did you officially form the band? Uh well, I was in a, so this is what happened. We all kind of, we all went to like Derek, Dave, uh, Steve and I, and we all went to different elementary schools in Ajax. Okay. And then we all kind of ended up, ended up at this one high school, but we were all in separate bands. Okay. Um, Dave, Dave was in a metal band. Derek was kind of in the same kind of band I was in, like kind of like this grunge kind of Nirvana ripoff band. Um, and uh, Steve was a year younger, so he came up later and was in a different kind of like thrash metal band. And then by 1996, Steve and Derek um, uh, formed Sum 41 after going okay. to a Warp Tour. And then members kind of came in and out, and Dave joined. I think they asked their guitar player left in 1997, and they asked Dave to fill in, and Dave ended up joining. And then 1998, they got to a van crash, and their bass player was driving, and he got freaked out and um, quit the band. And, and then they asked me to fill in for shows, too, at the end of 1998. And then... Uh, by i don't know spring of 99 i was basically just i, I joined the band because the band i was already in like the, the singer ryan he was he, he just didn't like playing live mm. so he just he was content to like sit in the basement smoke weed drink beer and and just play um whereas like i was like me and the drummer matt were like well we want to play shows yeah like, exactly I don't play shows. Yeah. <laughs> uh so he didn't want to play shows so some 41 was very like you know derek and and Dave and Steve, they're very like into playing shows and they're very driven and they wanted to, they wanted to keep progressing and stuff. So I was like, I like this, I want yeah, to play. So I course. just joined, I joined and joined them. That's awesome. And then, so you guys got the deal with Island Records in 2099 or, or was it 2000? It was, uh, we actually like through the, through the summer of 1999 into the fall, we were, we were being like, labels were coming up and seeing us play in Toronto all the time. And then, I, just, I think we actually signed a deal in December of 1999. Okay. I'm obviously assuming you guys got approached by almost every major record label. Yeah, it was, uh, well, I, you know, at first we sent out a bunch of songs, like songs like Summer and all these other songs, and we got rejected by basically every record label. And then we made this wow. thing called an EPK, which is electronic press kit. And we made, we basically just filmed ourselves around our hometown causing shit. Mm. And like, um, and then we put the same songs over that video. I sent it out again and every label freaked out, wanted to come see us play. And it was the same songs that they had already rejected. And you, <laughs> ca they, you came up with that they, idea. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. You, you came up with that idea. Yeah, because we, we had a camcorder and we were filming ourselves anyway. Like we would film ourselves doing whatever we wanted to do. We were, we had squirt guns. We would, do drive-by squirt guns and, and they wow. like you were ahead people of people on the street. You were ahead of your time. We that that was brilliant. That, that was a brilliant marketing yeah, we strategy. Were, we were basically, we were kind of like jackass turned into before jackass. Yeah. Um, 
and it was uh, before like YouTube, right? Yeah. So we would, um, you know, we would egg houses and film it all. We were just causing, we were just, it was this very small town. So we just were causing shit everywhere and filming it. And our manager was, and we were just discussed like, why don't we make this into a little bit of an eight minute video with songs over top and, you know, and then labels loved it and they all wanted to come see us. And, um, and yeah, basically every major label in America came up and saw us at least once. It, it, that that must have been a great feeling. And, and did, did you think kind of just because how just from kind of really from the initial start of the band to then signing a deal, even getting to the point where, you know, labels are noticing you, d did you ex expect it to happen that fast or what, did it kind of catch you off guard a little bit? Yeah, I, I think because we had gotten rejected, um, prior uh it was a little bit of a shock that all of a sudden every label wanted to come see us just because of this one little video um yeah and i mean we were like some 41 like i said it was like 96 when it started so there was a lot of playing and a lot of touring and then you know signed to 99 and then the first album half hour power in 2000 we toured the shit out of that um like we're never home um so you know it was before fat lip came out there was like there was five years of the band um doing stuff so it wasn't to us i don't think it was super quick yeah. um but i think i think when all killer came out and exploded i think we were all pretty shocked by it obviously um we didn't expect fat lip to have such a big impact that it's had or it had um till this day i mean so, I, yeah. I still listen to it so it, it's it's a great song i mean it's a great great out great album and you know did, did it was there like a real defining moment when that initial like extreme success occurred was like, Oh shit, like this is really happening. Like, like this. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember, I remember fat lip came out in maybe May, May or something, or, or maybe even earlier. Uh, I think maybe all killer came out in May. So I think the, the thing that we realized was fat lip um, got added to K rock in LA and okay. that was uh, apparently at the time we didn't know anything about it because we're Canadian, but everyone's freaking out because that's a big thing. It is. Yeah. And if K Rock adds it, if K Rock adds it, there's a good chance everywhere else in, the, in America was going to add it. So mm. um, I think for us, the, the moment where we realized, well, for me anyway, uh, we were on Warp Tour that summer and we we're on the whole thing. Okay. And we were on the side stage because we had already done the deal with Warp Tour prior to. Um, the album coming out, so we didn't. No one knew how big it was going to be. And mm. Warped Tour is like, well, you're a side, you're, you know, you have half hour power, but you're a side stage band. And so we played the side stage at Warped Tour that year. And I remember a couple shows, um, or like maybe the first show we played, it was just slammed full of people. Like it was this little little side stage, and and there was thousands and thousands of people trying to come and see us play because wow. we had just showed up. And uh, that's kind of what I and all the bands out on the Warp Tour too were trying to see us play, and that's when I kind of I think we all kind of realized like, wow, this, I think, <laughs> I think this <laughs> I think is we're doing all right yeah. right now, right? Yeah. That, that must have been a great feeling, definitely. Yeah, it was cool. It was it, you know it was cool because it was it was unexpected, and uh, and you know it was we didn't we never we never uh, asked to play the main stage like we just kind of kept our mouth shut and just played side stage the whole summer. Mm -hmm. And so the whole summer was a little, it was pretty bonkers because, um, you know, our album was doing really well and Fat Lip went to number one and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah it was an extreme success. And and I read on so many different, you know, articles and things that 
you guys were performing over 300 shows a year? <laughs> yeah, well, that year, 2001, um, when All Killer came out and we released that Lip Bandit and 2D. Yeah, we were just basically never home that year. Um, I so, mean, if you could imagine wow. 300 shows in one year, I think we were home maybe a combined total of one month, <laughs> um, but sp- spread out. So, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, but, you know, we were 21 years old, so um, it was it was a lot of fun, and um, we could do it at that age. Yeah, but I'm sure it, it must have been a, kind of like a blur now looking back, no? Or, like, it was just so much, right? I mean, I mean, I can only imagine. Yeah, and I think, I think the funny thing about that year, too, was the, the album was exploding, the songs were exploding, Everyone knew who we were all of a sudden, and we were still living at our parents' house oh, wow. <laughs> because, because we, we didn't have any money. Like, you know, like, like the, there was no money. Yeah. It was, like, we hadn't been paid for anything, and we were just doing everything, but, you know, the, we were just kind of um, paying for stuff we were doing, so we weren't really making any money. So we would come off these massive tours. I remember we were playing arenas over in England and all these big theaters in America, arena tour across Canada. And we'd go home and sleep in our parents' house. <laughs> the end of it. Wow, that that that's insane. I mean, it definitely paid off, but that that's crazy. Um, was was there ever like like a musician? I mean, you don't have to name their name or anyone or anything, but was it was it was there like a time where someone gave you some really good advice? You know, about the music industry, and you know, especially early on when when you guys started to really blow up. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I, I value time. Um, I don't know if there's specific like words said, but I like value time we spent with, um, Iggy pop where we did a song with Iggy pop in the mm-hmm. early two thousands. Um, so it's like just talking, talking to these kind of people, you know, we, um, we collaborated with, um, DMC of run DMC at the alternative press awards. Uh, we, we've done stuff with Tommy Lee, Rob Halford. Um, so like, you know, I think just speaking to those kind of guys um, and hanging out and hearing what they have to say about stuff and not, not particularly like them saying one thing, um, just like hearing their stories about their, you know, what they've done in their career and just chatting like that. That's valuable to me. Um, you know, people have said stuff to us probably in the early days. I can't really remember. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there was people saying a bunch of stuff, but I think it's just more hanging out. Mm-hmm. and uh, chatting with those kind of people that um, that probably helped us a lot. Definitely. And so in, in 2011, you were asked to produce the rest of the album for My Father and the, Hun- the Hunter. Is that correct? Yeah. And then yeah. So yeah, yeah. you guys received a, a Juno Award nomination for that, right? Yeah. So, the, yeah, the Strumbellas, um, the Strumbellas who obviously have had a massive hit a couple of years ago, um, but I did their first record. I did the whole first record of oh. um, My Father and Hunter. I think it came out in like 2012. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I, I, I initially saw them, uh, my friend Joanne, who was managing them at the time, she said, I got to come see this band in Toronto. So I went to this really small little club and there was probably five people watching them. And I, I loved them right away. I, I, I could tell that uh, Simon, the singer, could write really great songs. He had a great voice. The band was good. So I told her that night, I said, I want to produce a couple songs. Like, let's just, let me try producing. I'd never really done a lot of producing in my, in my, in my time, but uh, I knew I could do it. I, I knew, I knew what to do with that band. So we did three songs and they turned out really great. 
And then they were gonna they were gonna kind of use like three or four producers on the record. Like they were gonna do a couple songs with mm. a couple different people. And at the end of the three songs, they said, well, I, I think we just want to use Cone for the whole thing. And so I ended up doing the whole record. And it turned to go, yeah, and we got a there was a Juno nomination, I guess, in there. That's awesome. Um, That's a great which they lost, but I know, but still yeah. it's just to be nominated and you know, to be in, you know, up for, you know, a Juno award, that's still an, a great thing, you know. Not many yeah, people, not many people can the, say I was that. Happy for the, I was happy for them because it was their first record and they were also very green to it all, right? So they were very excitable about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, obviously later they had their big hits and stuff. But. Of course. And, and out of all, all the shows um, that you performed at, was there like one show that comes to mind that was like the best night or best performance best venue i mean i know all shows are you know special but was there like one show in particular that that comes to mind that like was just a special performance or show yeah there's i think there's like two that i mean they and they weren't really um i mean obviously our 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 shows that we do on our own are special in their own way um but i i i pinpoint two shows that um that I still think back to, and they weren't typical shows. It was the 20th anniversary of MTV. It was in 2001. Again, we had just come out with Fat Lip, and they wanted us to open the show. And uh, so we asked Tommy Lee to come up and and uh, do a song with us. And, and then after we got Tommy Lee, said yes. Then we got Rob Halford to come out wow. from Judas Priest. And so we basically did a little bit of fat lip. We went into uh, no sleep till Brooklyn with beastie boys. Tommy came out for that. And then we did shout the devil from Motley crew. And at the end, Rob Halford came out and did, you got another thing coming with us all. And so that, and that kind of changed things for us as well, because fat lip was out and it was doing well. Yeah. And we were, you know, on the warp tour and we were doing okay. But for some reason after that show, because it was televised on TV and we had Tommy come out and Rob come out, it, things seemed to change for us. Like people, all of a sudden really knew who we were Mm -hmm. and we were really put on the map. So that kind of changed things for us. And the next one will be, I mean, and we did, like I said, we did some stuff with Iggy pop. And after we released that song, little know-it-all with him, um, we ended up being his backing band out of a bunch of different stuff, like different awards ceremonies. And, and I remember we did, um, the the MTV Latin music awards with him in Miami. Okay. And we, it was, it was amazing because we did our song, but we also, did lust for life with them and that was kind of uh you know one of the better moments that i've had in a band in a long time like playing lust for life with iggy at the award show so those are like two that i kind of think back to as amazing times and they're both kind of not award shows but like mtv kind of mtv kind of things still yeah that must have been just so surreal (laughs) yeah 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 for sure um, so what what are you currently working on? I, I know you got a radio show, and I kind of briefly want to talk about that before we end the interview. But are you working on anything um, in the, with music, or are you kind of just doing the radio thing right now? Yeah, no. Uh, some as for some forty one, we're still just like tidying up the and the ending pieces of our double album, which will be called Heaven and Hell. Okay, and awesome. uh, that'll come out. I don't know when we. We okay. don't even have a record label for it, so we're we're still we're free agents. <laughs> so once the album's done, we'll kind of dive more into like who's going to put it out. Oh, so, um, so, so you guys are of, indie indie right now? We're we are we are on our own right now. Oh, I see. <laughs> Not okay. even indie. 
okay. Yeah, fully independent. Like basically the definition of independent is on our own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's being tied up there. It's kind of finished doing the finishing touches on that. Um, you know, I've already done my bass on it and guitars are done. Drums are done. Uh, and then the, the other thing I'm doing right now is I'm producing more producing. I'm producing a, um, a guy named Coster with a K okay. and, uh, we're doing, we're doing a couple songs. I did three songs from in 2020 and then I'm doing three more right now, awesome. two more right now. And, uh, so doing that and then obviously, yeah, my radio show Cones Cave, which is on every Sunday at 7 PM. So I have to ask you, what what made you get into radio? Just I'm just curious because you know I I uh, I personally started podcasting in 2010 when I was 16, and when I was 18, I went to broadcasting school, and I kind of wanted to get into a career of radio, but then you know quick, quick kind of quickly realized there's really no money in it unless you know you're at a very big market and you're a big radio personality, um, or you know. You know, so I kind of decided to go, you know, stick with the podcasting route and acting and things like that. But what what made you get into radio? Were you always like kind of fascinated by that or was it just something that kind of came up with an idea one day? Yeah, there. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I will say you're right. There's not a lot of money in it. I'm doing this for free. Exactly. Um, yeah, I was going to. Yeah. But. <laughs> Yeah. So, but I, I in the mid two thousands, there's a there's a radio station in Toronto called one hundred two point one The Edge. Okay. And um, a guy was on it uh, by the name of Dave Bookman, who we called Bookie. He passed away a few years ago, uh, but he used to he used to be like the, the afternoon guy, and he would always conduct interviews like live interviews on the radio, and they were really great. And I would go on it every so often, and I'd even go into the station and we'd just chat on the radio together. And then you know there was a time when he said you know you should you should come on my show like every week and do like 15 minutes we'll call it cones corner and we'll just talk for 15 minutes every week i was like yeah yeah that's really cool and i was i was kind of really into the idea but at the time we had like chuck just had come out and we were really really busy i really didn't have the time to do it um, so that just kind of fizzled out bookie passed away and and then the pandemic hit and i had some time on my hands and i was like you know i was i really upset about uh, bookie's death and i was just remembering chatting with him all the time he's a great dude and and i was like you know what i, I should i should do this I, I have time to actually try and get it together yeah. for two years over the pandemic so i got like some little demos going of a radio show and i sent it around to a lot of different stations and then there was a station close to where we grew up in oshawa which is only like two towns over from ajax mm. And uh, they loved the idea, and they, they gave me total freedom to do whatever I want, have whoever guests on I want, and it'd be for one hour I could play whatever I want. And, uh, and it's been up and going since, I think, uh, May of last year. That's great. A am I able to listen to that? Is it, is it like, does it stream, or can you listen to it on, on, the, web, on, the, web, on the radio uh, station's website, or is it only local only? Yeah, no, it's it's live on ninety four nine The Rock if you're in Toronto, like on the actual radio. But you can stream it. You go, you can just go on their website. It's therock.fm, and yeah, it's just basically you could stream it from anywhere in the world. Okay, definitely. And it's live. I'm gonna have to it's check live. it out. It's live. The yeah, the problem is we ha we haven't done a thing where people are like, oh, I missed it. How can I hear it again? You can't. <laughs> you have to you have to hear it at the time. Okay. It's Sunday, seven p.m. Eastern time, and it's. That's it. <laughs> but okay. I do have all the episodes. Maybe I'll turn them into a podcast or something one day. I, I was going to ask you that. I mean, 
did you contemplate going the podcasting route before you kind of thought about the radio just because, you know, obviously monetary and just, you know, more freedom and whatever, or did you contemplate doing that? Or was it more just like, I just want to do radio now and maybe podcasting? Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was really into the radio idea. Um, and as you know, with podcasts, you can't play full songs. Exactly. It's like, there's like a copyright thing. So a big thing for me, it wasn't necessarily like I wanted to talk and tell stories on the radio, Mm -hmm. which I do. Yeah. But the big thing for me is I love, I love DJing our dressing room. Like I, I, when we warm up for shows, I'm the one that puts on all the music, uh, after parties. Um, it's normally me that puts on music or Derek might sneak in there once in a while. (laughs) But, (laughs) but so I, I love, I love kind of like DJing. Like I, I DJ at bars once in a while. Oh, the big thing awesome. for me was I wanted to I, I wanted to play the songs like mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about bands and talk about songs and actually play them on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized you can't do that because there's a copyright problem. Yeah, I actually used to do that back in like 2011 on like a live podcasting platform when it it really wasn't like you know illegal or maybe it was but you know you wouldn't really get in trouble at that time because it was just such early on in the podcast days. Um, but Cone, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, where can people check out your content? I mean, uh, where can people follow you on, uh, on social media? Do you have a website? And just want to make sure everybody can stay up to date. Obviously they can follow some 41. Yeah. Yeah. Some 41 obviously is, uh, you know, the Instagram is just some 41 and there's some 41.com. Uh, me personally, I got cone and I also have my Instagram official cone McCaslin. Um, and that's pretty much all I check. (laughs) That's it. Cone, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I really do. And I wish you the most success and happiness this year and and keep killing it, man. All right. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Cone. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks. You too. If you are a business owner, brand, company, or anyone selling a product and you want to advertise on this podcast, email the show directly at onairwithjt at gmail.com. We are offering extremely low rates for a limited time. Once again, email the show at onairwithjt at gmail.com. Listen to On Air with JT on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Go to onairwithjt.com.